you are listening to the Business RPG Podcast, a show where you can learn from successful nerds and find the tools that you need to grow your nerdy business or project. I'm your host, Sir Isaac, and I would like to take this moment to extend some congratulations to Foxy Marie over on Instagram. You are our giveaway winner. You have won some D&D minis. And guys, if you would like to have an opportunity to be involved in the next giveaway, go ahead and give me a follow here wherever you are listening to the podcast and on Instagram at Business RPG. You can follow my escapades. We can continue the conversation, get to know each other a bit more. And when the next giveaway is ready, you will be one of the first people to know. And it's going to be coming up, I think, later in October if, if my schedule is correct. Guys, today's episode is a feather in my cap. And let, let me explain why. A little, little behind the scenes here on the Business RPG When I first started the show, my wife sat me down and she made me create three lists when it came to guests. The first list was the impossible list. These are the people who, the the Matt Mercers, the, the, the different people out there who are so above and beyond in their field that I have no idea if they would ever be willing to come on a podcast, let alone my podcast. Uh, It may may sound like I'm being self-deprecating, but I don't even know where to start with some of these people. I don't know how to start that conversation or or how to reach out to them, but I knew that before I was done with this show, I would have them on. That that was the commitment I was making by putting them on that list or whenever I add someone to that list. The second list was the hard list. These are the people who are making some amazing content and that I admire, and I'd really like to just sit down with them for the 45 minutes to an hour and pick their brains on how they did it. You know, I I consider these people masters of their craft, or I consider them to be so skilled that it's just above and beyond what I would see from someone who was more recreational about what they did. I'm I'm not entirely sure how to put it, but the people who I, I, I guess intimidated could be one way to put it. The people who I really think are doing next level content, and I would love to have their input on the show. The next level after that was the good list. These are the people who I either A, already knew were willing to come on the show, or B, was a lot more comfortable talking to for whatever reason. It, not, not, to, not to lower the bar on how excellent they are at their craft, but just that they were someone who I was pretty sure I could talk to. Whether or not they came on the show is, is, is a different conversation, but someone who I was comfortable talking to, asking my questions, and just continuing that conversation with. And I also knew how to reach out to. That, that, that was another requirement for the good list. Today's guest has come off the hard list. And I, I haven't had very many people come off the hard list. Um, th- this actually may be the first one. There, there were some people who were kind of in between, but they've already been on the show, which which was amazing to me. Today's guest is Paul from Schooled Zone. Paul is a YouTuber. He is a builder uh, in in gaming. He is a he he plays games where he builds. He's also a gamer, and he is a community builder. I heard of Paul through a family member of mine who is on his Patreon and who really likes what he does and who talks about him a lot. You know who you are. But this was a really big episode for me because this was the first person I've had on whose main platform was YouTube. This is the first gamer I've had on who was in a building niche, which in in my opinion, building like Minecraft, 
uh, uh, Fallout 4, which is which is Paul's niche. Um, just the the list goes on. There's there's actually a lot of building games out there now. But I think that building in and of itself is a really big sub niche in gaming. So it's the first person I've had on who's been in a niche like that. It's also the first person I've had on who has a significant Patreon following. So there were all these different niches that I was pulling questions from, and I had to kind of cram them into one interview, and Paul does an amazing job going through and just answering all the questions. Uh, he, he took it at a great pace. He was very clear uh, when, it, when it came to his answers. You, you're going to get a lot out of this episode. So there's no opening question to this episode because we cover so many different niches. But I do want to point out one thing. While you're listening to this episode, there is a lot of good advice when it comes to starting your nerdy business or project. A, a lot of it's stuff that I can attest to as, as far as when I was starting my nerdy escapades. But... If there's an episode that has really resonated with you as far as topic, niche, business model, etc., you can probably take this episode and just tack it on to the end of that, and it'll be a great supplement for whatever the content value that you're getting out of that other episode is. So I'm going to get out of the way, but before I do, I want to make sure that you pause the episode right here and subscribe to the show wherever you are listening. And consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Now, you don't have to do it for my show, but if there is a show out there that you love, that you listen to faithfully, that you listen to on a regular basis, consider leaving them a review. When you do some of the research behind Apple Podcast reviews, you would be amazed how many shows have less than two reviews. And uh, you, you start to realize how much of a difference just one review makes in the grand scheme of things. So, just wanted to Put that food for thought in in your brain there for the moment. I'm going to get out of the way. Let's go ahead and start the interview. Paul, welcome to the Business RPG. Yeah, thanks for the invite. I am pumped to have you. I've had you on my I won't say how long you've been on my list. Like you know, I've already told you, but I'm not going to tell the audience how long you've been on my list. Uh, <laughs> let's just say it's been a long... I'm, I'm really excited to have you on. But I would like to ask you, could you introduce yourself to the audience and just tell us what is the schooled zone? Sure, sure. Actually, before we get into it, I just want to say that I don't normally do interviews. You know, I kind of let like to let the work speak for itself. But uh, I got turned on to your content and I really connected with it because uh, not only am I an old school D&D nerd, yeah, man. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I... I really appreciated the way that you were trying to help people, you know, make a career change into uh, focusing on their hobbies or their passions. You know, that's something that people shouldn't overlook. Mm -mm. Straight up. So, yeah, my name is Paul and, you know, I run a gaming channel on YouTube called The Schooled Zone. Uh, I mainly do tips and tricks videos and tutorials on video games and I also do some Let's Play style videos with a, a bonus feature of adding in like facts and trivia about real life as it relates to the context of the game. You know, I, I call those my trivia walkthroughs. Uh -huh. And it's kind of fun because not only do you get to watch some great gameplay, but I add in these little trivia pop-ups. So you're kind of like learning some interesting and useful things as you watch the gameplay. So you get to be like entertained to get smarter at the same time. And uh, that's the the name, the schooled zone. <laughs> so you know, you get schooled with education while I'm schooling the enemies in the game. Now you do you you focus a lot on Fallout, 
I mean, I've seen you do some playthroughs, but you you do a lot of custom building with no mods, or, or I think I'm saying that wrong. No, you're right. Okay, so so you do a lot of building content with Fallout, correct? Yeah. So I started off in one niche, and then I sort of grew an audience with a sub niche. <laughs> so um, I didn't used to only be an exclusively Fallout you Fallout Four channel. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to play a lot of games. I've played probably about two to three dozen games on my channel, but the one that really resonated the most with viewers and my audience has been the building elements of Fallout 4. So that's where I think I probably attracted the largest number of subscribers. I mean, I had a decent uh, subscriber base. Um, it was probably in the 50 to 75,000 K range before I started getting into fallout building, but that accelerated it significantly. So where did the idea come from to, to start whenever I have someone on who is, is I guess you could say specializing in, in this case with video games in general or with building and fallout, there seems to be a story or at least some sort of connection that got them to that point. Did, did you have anything like that? You know, one of the things I've always tried to do from a young age is to entrepreneurialize my hobbies. I don't even know if that's a real word. I mean, it's a real word. It. <laughs> if it's not, I will coin it and copyright it for you. <laughs> right on. Um, but whatever I was really into at any point in my life, I, I tried to see if I could turn it into a job, you know, even if it was like a part-time job while I was going to school, you know, for example, I used to be really into the martial arts. So I started teaching martial arts, you know, first to like kids at the YMCA. And then later I started an adult class and uh, I was also really into fitness. So I became a personal trainer. And there was even a point when I was learning Italian in college and I was also like into the bar scene. So I got a job as a bartender at an Italian restaurant. So you get the idea, you know, a lot of people feel like they shouldn't try to turn their interests into a job because then it'll feel like work, but I'm the opposite. You know, if you're working on something that you're passionate about, it'll hardly ever feel like work, you know? Um, but anyway, once the YouTube wave hit and it was, you know, possible to make a living from playing video games, you know, which is something I've always been passionate about, I had to give it a try. You know, it was definitely a big learning curve, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get into later, but the idea of making gaming videos was too good of an opportunity to pass me by, you know? Mm-hmm. So what did the process look like when it came to finding your niche and video game making? Well, I did come up with the theme for the channel before I even started the channel. I didn't just start a video game channel. I wanted to kind of separate myself from the pack because YouTube probably gained a great deal of their popularity through gaming channels, you know? I mean, it was like cat videos and gaming channels before even all the other niche (laughs) channels sort of, you know, they call them verticals before those even uh, rose to prominence. So I had to find a way to separate myself from the pack. So I came up with this theme because I actually almost became a teacher like in real life. So I, I, I decided to move to Hollywood and explore the film industry instead of going into teaching. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, the idea of creating a theme around your channel is really important. You know, you can't just go in there and do let's plays or like this and that and expect to stand out from the pack. So once I developed the theme around 
the school zone about making it an educational type uh, gaming channel, that's when the focus uh, really started to coalesce. You need that kind of focus to get things going. So I started off doing those trivia walkthroughs that I talked about earlier, and that became a hit. And then I started branching out into tips and tricks. And then Fallout 4 came around. And originally, I was doing just trivia walkthroughs for Fallout 4 and occasional tips and tricks. And then uh, probably a good year and a half after the game's release, like into the game's like uh, growth period, is when I finally started focusing a little bit more on building. And there was also a lot of building channels. So in order to separate myself from that pack, which is a much smaller pack of a much smaller pack, I started focusing on doing them with no mods. If any audience members out there don't know what mods are, um, Fallout 4 is a game where there can be like some elemental programming that and module type things that can uh, fit into the core of the game to modify it from its original developers, uh, you know, core. So these modders, they put together all kinds of creative stuff and I have absolutely nothing against modders. It's just fantastic. But this was a way for me to separate myself from the pack. I sort of felt like, um, like I was starting from scratch, you know, like mm -hmm. you could do almost anything with mods, but if you don't use mods, then you're really showing your true creativity, in my personal opinion, because you're only working with what's given to you, you know, instead of what can be, quote unquote, modified in the game. And you've made some amazing stuff without the mods. Like the first video I, I ever watched that you made, it was a museum that you'd put together and there, there's, there's no mods in there. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. And you've meticulously... I don't even know what the right word is because it's not code, but it's definitely sort of like a form of architecture or engineering, in my opinion, just seeing everything that goes into making that. Yeah, it's definitely not code because I play on a console. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I have an Xbox and a PlayStation, but I play Fallout 4 on my Xbox. But yeah, it, that was a super fun build. I call it Vault 42. You know, any, uh, Super nerds out there will get that, that little uh, pop culture reference. But um, anyway, the entirety of the build did take quite some time to do. You know, I, not all my builds are that complex. But what I did was I used that uh, build as an introduction to the Nomads playlist series. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted, you know, I, I didn't want to just jump into doing tutorials. I wanted to show my, my bona fides before I really... Uh, delved into it so I'd have a little bit more credibility. So I did put a lot of extra time into that into that build and it turned out really well. And uh, of course, one of the glitches that you can do in the game is to expand the size of the settlement beyond the capacity of what the developers originally meant. Um, and it is it is a glitch. They put in these uh, safeguard rails, so to speak, so that uh, huh. your game wouldn't crash. And I went way over the limit. And so <laughs> I, I promised this like immersion tour after I did like the regular tour. And the game just kept crashing on me so bad I could never finish that second video. But I used that as a as a gateway to the rest of the play series so that people could reference back to that. And what I did for the first probably... Um, two dozen videos in that series was break down elements of the build and show how I did it, you know? So let me ask you a question 
related to that, or we, we could even use that video as an example. What goes into making content the way that you make content? For example, do you know before you go in what you're going to talk about in your tips and tricks? I definitely have a list. Um, in fact, uh, I used to have my own list and it's been completely expanded by the community, you know, just making requests. And I always try to take requests. Um, I give request priority a little bit more to my Patreons, you know, because they're, they're helping support the channel. Mm -hmm. But uh, I definitely take requests. So that list is expanded. And I thought I would run out of ideas after like a year or two. But the list is like never ending. You know, there's just people are always asking for new things. And, and uh, some of their questions are so creative that I take it on as a challenge. But I definitely don't go into a video open-ended. You know, I definitely put a lot of preparation and planning into the video. And, and I think that's, that's important because if I was just doing a let's play, then I'll just dive into it. As a matter of fact, as a sidebar, I haven't even finished. This is going to sound crazy to, to people, but I haven't even finished the main story quest in Fallout 4. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's two reasons for that. One of the reasons is because I want to save my, well, one of the first reason mainly is because I got so into the building element of the game that I started focusing on that instead of actually playing the quest. Um, but I don't want to just play it for myself. I want my reactions to be uh, fresh and organic for the audience. And uh, I don't want to spoil it for myself, so to speak. I want to be able to record it. So mm -hmm. I put out another fragment of the quest, <laughs> another um, certain amount of time of gameplay into it, probably every couple of months when I can find the time for it. And uh, probably by the time that the next game in the series comes out, I'll finally be finished with the main quest. But anyway, yeah, there's definitely a lot of preparation that goes into making the videos. I have, I go down the list and see what's the next tips and tricks video that should be made or, or is highly requested. And then I'll put in some scripting into that and do some tests off camera, make sure everything runs smoothly. And then I'll record the video and, and uh, audio and put it, you know, edit it all together. How much time goes into one video? Unfortunately, it's a lot more than people think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I sometimes I get a little jealous of the vloggers out there who could just turn on their camera and, and you know, turn on their charm and uh, turn it off and the video is ready to publish. But no, with these kind of videos, there's a lot of time that goes into it. Not only the editing, but um, polishing up the audio and the graphics and the thumbnail and metadata and marketing it and stuff there it's it's quite a bit of time that goes into it so we're, we're kind of going into youtube and that's where some of my next questions are so how long have you been doing youtube content i started actually posting videos to the channel in the summer of 2015 so it's uh i guess about six years now wow Time Congratulations. flies. I appreciate that. But I actually registered my channel, my channel name and the domain name for the channel almost uh, six to eight months, maybe nine months before that. And all that time was spent preparing to launch my channel. You know, I didn't want to just learn on the job, so to speak. I wanted to hit the ground running. So uh, I did put a lot of, you know, and you're probably getting a theme here. You know, I like to 
I like to be prepared. You know, I was a boy mm-hmm. scout when I was a kid. So there's a lot that goes into it. I didn't want to just fumble about and make it a learning curve while I was posting videos. I really wanted to be uh, ready for what was to come. So I did spend a lot of time learning the editing software, putting like a business model together, you know, watching a lot of YouTube tutorials about YouTube itself, self-educating, so to speak. That's what I like to hear. What does it take to get started as far as a YouTube channel that you're going to treat as a business? Well, first, let me say that uh, technical quality is really important for a YouTube channel. And by that, I mean like footage resolution, audio quality, uh, graphics, thumbnails. You know, I, I see so many channels with good content, like never get off the ground because they don't put any effort into AV quality. Um, I mentioned the learning curve earlier. Uh, the technical quality took me the longest time to learn, actually, but I put a lot of effort to learn the graphics and the editing programs. I happen to use Adobe, not a sponsor, but um, but there are plenty of them out there. But, uh, you know, you can't just jump into making videos. You definitely have to learn the tricks of the trade. And um, uh, I, I'm sure you'll probably, this was on your list of questions, but there's also a lot of startup costs. And to get that technical quality, you need to get a good microphone, a capture card, uh, a good PC that can handle video rendering and, you know, et cetera. So it does take some time and money to get started. And I wanted to hit the ground running and not make my channel like too much of an on-camera learning lesson. So um, that's why I spent all that time before I even posted my first video. It sounds like a big hurdle for some people, but it's definitely worth it to be prepared. I agree. It's the same for podcasting. If you can put money down up front to invest in that good quality mic, to invest in a better editing software than you might get for free, then you start with that quality content. And it, it's a lot easier, in my opinion, to keep that momentum going than starting from free resources, a built-in mic with your computer, etc. Let's say that you were in dire straits and you wanted to do this, but you didn't have a startup budget, what would you say to someone like that as far as the bare minimum of what they had to have? You know, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, it depends. Are they trying to make money from this or do they just want to learn the business and like get into it or even maybe just do it as a, as a, as a hobby? Do you have an answer for each one? Yeah. What I would do in that circumstance, to be perfectly honest, is I would start working on a theme for the channel. So, you know, we talked about uh, developing that niche earlier. Uh, I would I would develop a theme for the channel so you can stand out from the rest. But I wouldn't launch that channel if you don't have the means to like really get a, a, a like a, a quality setup. Mm-hmm. What I would do is I would start a different channel to begin with, if you want to learn on the job and develop, uh, some, uh, experience and also start accumulating your resources so you can upgrade your equipment and just do something for fun. You know, uh, that's, t- that's either quasi related or completely unrelated to the actual business channel that you want to start. And once you've saved up some money so that you can buy the proper equipment and get the proper editing software and 
because there's a lot of ancillary costs also that people don't realize. We, you know, if you want to ask me about the ancillary costs later, I can definitely get into that with you. But it, it's not a cheap hobby, you know, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So uh, what I would do in that circumstance is just get the experience and learn the ropes uh, with a channel that wasn't related to what I actually wanted to launch. And then once I felt like I had uh, the wherewithal and the experience, then I would launch the actual channel that I wanted to make a living at and like start as a business. That way you can hit the ground running. I don't want to discourage people that don't have the the wherewithal to do that. You know, you can still start something and you can still learn the ropes. You can learn all about the metadata and you can learn about marketing and social media and uh, um, titles and thumbnails and descriptions and things like that. Cause all those things are really important as well on YouTube, at least. That's a really good piece of advice. J- just kind of thinking back when I got into podcasting, e- even with my background in, in radio, when I started, it was on a show that I, I knew not for a long time would, would generate any revenue, but, this show, the business RPG, was the passion project brainchild that I always wanted, and I, I see what you mean. Having that experience there to play with, to test, and to grow—you you, know—that's something that, even though I did, I wish someone had told me before even starting all this. That's that's a really good piece. Yeah, um, I, I took a little bit of advice from my dad. Uh, he always wanted to start his own. Um, he was a, a a tax accountant, not the most exciting job, you know, but, <laughs> but, uh, but he really enjoyed it. He was kind of a math guy. So he started off, uh, working for other people. You know, he, he, he wanted to open his own business and be his own boss, but he definitely started off learning the ropes about how to, um, be an employee, you know, watching management and how they manage employees and, and, you know, learning the, ropes from within the job. And then once he felt like he had enough experience and he had stashed away enough starting capital, he opened his own business and he couldn't have been more happier after that. So you've brought up a number of things behind the scenes when it comes to how you got started, what goes into content. What does the business model of a YouTube channel look like? As I mentioned, there's definitely some overhead, you know, uh, the good news is, is that once you build a passionate community, they can help support you beyond YouTube and, you know, YouTube's ad revenue. Uh, I use Patreon, for example, and I have a fantastic patron community that helps subsidize my overhead Mm -hmm. because, uh, I offer a lot of value in return. Um, not to mention the cool perks, you know, they get once they become a member of the student council, which is the name they voted on calling themselves. (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) <laughs> the whole school zone theme, but um, there are definitely a lot of ancillary costs, and that's something that um, that should be factored into the business model. Uh, and um, you know, a lot of YouTubers don't think about those things. You know, when they first get started, uh, I'll give you a few examples. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, there's a sizable monthly subscription fee for the Adobe Creative Suite. You know, which includes mm-hmm. all the programs I use, like Premiere Pro and Photoshop, and audition and after effects and stuff. And, uh, and then there's the equipment costs. You know, we talked a little bit about microphones, you know, there's computer maintenance costs, there's web server costs, there's domain name costs. Um, that's something people don't think about a lot. You know, for example, I have 
schooledzone.com. I, you know, I own that, but I also have schooled.zone and I also have afterschooled.club and afterschooledclub.com because I use those to redirect to things like the subreddit and uh, the YouTube community tab, you know, just to, Mm -hmm. just to keep up with those. I'm eventually going to turn one of those into a redirect to a discord server, you know, as soon as I get the time to, to get that up and running. But I even have like schooledzone.com spelled with an S-C-H, you know, in case people naturally type in that by accident. And all these are, you know, these are just examples off the top of my head, but these are recurring costs. And there are, you know, a bunch of other expenses I can't think of at the moment. But it's important that you factor those into the expected revenue. And, you know, a lot of businesses have overhead. So it's just, it's par for the course. But a lot of YouTubers that just jump in and don't think about these things, I mean, that's one of the reasons why they never really get off the ground. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like if you want to maintain like a small channel and just do it for the fun of it, that's perfectly fine. You know, that's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. But you then can't expect it to also become a business. You know, you have to pick a lane. You know, you either press the gas or you put it on cruise control, you know. So let's say that I am at a point where I have the capital to really start the business and I have the overhead taken care of. I have a business model and a plan. What does it take to do this full time? Yeah, that's another interesting question because I'm not even (laughs) completely doing it full time. To be honest with you, I still have a day job, so to speak. Yeah. If you, if you've got those early steps, then you're on your way. Um, You can definitely, I mean, there's some, tactical things that you have to overcome. Like for example, before you can monetize on YouTube, you have to accumulate, I think it's like at least a thousand subscribers. So once you can overcome that hurdle by really just putting out quality content, I mean, um, if you ever see a channel that has good content, but isn't, doesn't have the subscribers they deserved, it's, it's usually because of one of three things, either video quality, audio quality, voice presentation, you know, you just, you can't speak in a monotone voice. You have to put a little character into your voice, you know, be yourself. I mean, if you're naturally a monotone person, then maybe this isn't the the business for you, but uh, you have to show your enthusiasm. You know, you can't hold back. You just really have to be yourself, be authentic. So you mentioned a community. What does it take to actually build a good, solid community? And, and I mean, not, not just with the value that you provide to Patreon. We, we can talk about that in a second. But just in general, what have you done to really build that community? And I, I think recently you broke 150,000 subscribers, if, if I'm not mistaken. Almost, almost. We're almost at like 100, we're 145. 145. So, yeah. So what does it take to build a community that you've built so far? Well, it's a great question because building a community, in my opinion, is one of the most important things a YouTuber can do. Uh, you know, some some types of channels can get away with not caring about a community, like maybe prank channels or drama channels. But uh, <laughs> outside of the clickbaity type content, a strong community is is your greatest ally. If you can foster a strong community, then they'll spread the word for you and do a lot of the marketing for you. And I don't mean that in like an exploitive way or anything, you know, you give them entertainment and value and a safe place where they can connect with others who share their passions and you've created a powerful base of support. So, uh, it's, it's hugely important. The community aspect of, of, 
of any channel. I mean, whether it's YouTube or Twitch, or even if you're a, you know, like an Instagram influencer or whatever, uh, it does take a while though. And you can't expect it to grow overnight. You know, it's a, it's a tree that starts out as a sapling and you, you have to water and nourish it. Mm. Probably the most important thing to remember though, is that, is that you reap what you sow with your community, you know? So if you start like a bullying type reaction channel, like, I don't know, like leafy or something, I don't even know if he's still around. I'm just, I'm sure others have filled the vacuum then uh, expect to attract an audience of bullies. You know, if you start an intellectual channel like Vsauce, for example, then uh, you can expect like a more thoughtful and civilized audience, pretty simple formula, but it's important to keep that in mind. One of the things you said earlier was delivering value to your patrons. What, what does that value look like? What makes a good Patreon community as far as the value you're giving in exchange for their funding for your overhead? You can't just build a, a Patreon community. It, it has to, I mean, maybe you can, but in my opinion, it has to start from somewhere else. Okay. So you're bringing people over from some other platform. So really what they're doing is, is that they're supporting you off, off book, you know, they're supporting you off YouTube and they're doing it because they want to see more of what you do on YouTube or Twitch. You know, when I say YouTube, you know, for your audience, at least, you know, think of it as any platform podcasting, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what you have to do is, well, first of all, if you can manage it, try to think of really powerful rewards that you can give your audience that don't necessarily include more costs to yourself, you know, if, if possible, because, uh, you're going to have people from all over the world supporting you. I have supporters, not just in America, but people that sign on to Patreon from like Britain or Germany or, uh, wow. you know, Japan. So, you don't want to do anything where you like have to ship things to them, you know, now mm-hmm. it depends on what your niche is, you know, like, let's say you have a YouTube channel where you um, are doing, you know, like makeup tutorials and you like, you come up with your own line of makeup or something and, and you are offering them a product through, through patron that Patreon, then that's that those kind of things are the exception. But if you can develop a model where, you're giving them more value of what you're already doing on your original platform, then that's the the best business model for you. So um, I do things like give them like sneak peek videos that they can't see on YouTube. You know, I, I have this thing that I call the wall of fame where I don't just do a shout out like at the end of the video that a lot of YouTubers do. Um, mm-hmm. I actually make it like a thing and it, there's an actual prop in my videos where I can paste the, uh, the names of all the patrons on like this wall in fallout four. It's, it's really fun. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's a lot of perks that I do on the, on the channel, you know, follows on social media, you know, anything that I can think of that doesn't require an ancillary cost because you're trying to supplement your income and Patreon really does pay for all those ancillary costs. I couldn't be doing this without them. You know, one thing to keep in mind is that um, people love acknowledgement. You know, people don't just anonymously give money. You know, <laughs> they want to attend a gala or they want their name on a on a um, on a building or something. You know, Pe- people love that recognition because when you're doing good for other people, you want them to know it. And it's not 
a selfish thing at all. You know, it's like um, they could be doing so many other things with their money. They could one of the tiers that where they get that their name on the wall of fame is is a five dollar tier. You know, they could just go out and spend that money at Starbucks. You know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's coming right out of them the next day. So it, instead, you know, they put their their money towards um, uh, furthering the channel and uh, allowing me to give them more content. And they should be recognized for that. I think it's an absolute. So that's one of the things to keep in mind. There's something I wanted to ask you just kind of in general when it comes to turning a hobby into a business. And I wanted to ask, do you have any advice for someone who is at a point where they'd like to take their hobby to the next level that would work for any industry? Yeah. First of all, they should congratulate themselves for even having the courage Mm -hmm. to go that route. It takes a lot. You know, a lot of people would rather just uh, work a nine to five job in a cubicle and pursue their their passions and their hobbies after work you know and there's not always time for that you know sometimes you come home and you're tired you don't want to do anything and you know your hobbies always get pushed to the side so if you can find a way to monetize your hobbies that's that's the best way because not only are you authentically passionate about what you're doing but you can make a living at it you know potentially so know that you're in a small percentage group of people who actually uh, follow your dreams. But you have to remember that it does take some time and patience. You know, you can't expect to, I mean, I was, I was even delusional when I first got into YouTube. I thought that I would have like 50,000 subscribers, which sounds like a lot, but it's a reasonable amount. I thought I'd have 50,000 subscribers in the first six months. You know, and it took me like a year and a half or something to get the the first uh, 50,000. So you just have to have patience. You know, you can't um, give up as long as you're putting in the work and the effort and you still have a way to support yourself like, a you know, either a day job or another side hustle or something so you don't starve, then uh, it's worth pursuing uh, because the end rewards are fantastic. I mean, right now I'm, you know, doing what I love. And, uh, now there's a lot of technical work. I'll say this much. There's a lot of technical work I didn't anticipate in the beginning, you know? So if people specifically, for example, you mentioned a lot of different platforms, if people specifically want to get into gaming, they're not going to be gaming a hundred percent of the time. You know, mm-hmm. they're probably going to be gaming probably about 10 to 20% of the time. The other 80 to 90% is going to be doing the grunt work, which is editing videos, polishing audio, creating thumbnails and Photoshop and working on the social media marketing and stuff. So there's a, there's a whole business element to it, you know, but it's the same thing. I mean, like, let's say you love coffee, for example, and you want to open a coffee shop you're only going to be drinking coffee like 10% of the time, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, the other 90%, you're going to be running a business, you know, you're going to be managing employees, doing QuickBooks, you know, whatever goes into that element of, uh, of the business. So you just have to remember that there are some sacrifices that you'll have to make, whether that's patience, you know, time, money, delivery, that sort of thing. That's well put. And very relatable. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, there's a question I like to ask all my guests at the very end. And I, I think you might appreciate this because the whole thought behind it is 
you know, seeing a successful nerd and, and what it is that they do. It also means if, if they're doing it right, if they're being healthy about it, that means that they have some healthy goals. So I'd like to ask, what are some goals that you have that you have accomplished that you're very proud of? And what are some that you have for the next 12 months? The first major goal I achieved was getting the channel up and running. I mean, I had to, you have to stop and smell the flowers every once in a while. So that was, that was the first goal, you know, just uh, checking that off of your bucket list. The next goal, I think more specifically that I achieved was getting established in the fallout community. Not everyone, but most Fallout gamers know of my channel. Uh, so that's a point of pride and something I definitely don't take for granted. And, you know, my next goal was to get that silver YouTube play button, <laughs> not going to lie, mm -hmm. which was a cool little point of validation. Obviously, I'd love to reach a million subscribers sooner rather than later. I've promised my audience that I'm going to do a, a face reveal at 1 million. So there's mm -hmm. that to look forward to. In the next 12 months, I, I just want to continue to grow the channel. I think for me to really reach that next echelon, it is going to require another big legacy game to come out, you know, especially if it's a Fallout game like Fallout 5, um, some kind of Bethesda game, because that's where my audience really, you know, gels with the channel. But it could be something like Starfield or Elder Scrolls, you know, especially if it has a building system, then my channel is poised to skyrocket, you know. Even channels that specialize in huge legacy hits like Grand Theft Auto V, you know, are starting to see their numbers wane and they're they're chomping at the bit for GTA 6. Mm. So that's something I'm really looking forward to. And it doesn't even have to be a Bethesda game. You know, I'd love to see an Ubisoft game with a, a building system in it. You know, can you imagine a Far Cry or like an Assassin's Creed game with a fully customizable settlements? You know, it would be kind of amazing. Assassin's Creed that you could customize would be dangerous and good. Yeah. Do you play the game? I do. My wife plays it 10 times more than I do, though. She oh, loves right on, that right series. On. Yeah. I mean, if you could build like a Hidden Ones bureau and just design it in the middle of a city somewhere and, and put in like all kinds of like little traps and security measures, you know, in case it gets raided or I mean, that would be just so much fun. I, I don't know why Ubisoft doesn't look into that. This is this is definitely a cool podcast, man. I, I, don't, I don't remember the last time I, I talked this nerdy with anyone uh, except for some of my friends back home. So come on in, man. Awesome. Yeah, right on. <laughs> Paul, where are some places that people can find you if they want to keep up? Well, most of the links that I have are like if, if you go to my YouTube channel, which um, is really easy. You just go to YouTube.com forward slash school zone. So it's spelled with a K. I'm sure they'll probably see it on the, on the podcast uh, title. Mm -hmm. But um, once you're there up in the header, there's little links to my Twitter. You know, Twitter is just school zone. Uh, Instagram. Now, now, Instagram messed me up because I originally signed up with just school zone. And then I let it sit. You know, I just wanted to reserve the name. And I let it sit for like six to eight months during that period I mentioned before I I uh, launched the channel. And when mm -hmm. I finally went back in to uh, start posting on there, I couldn't get in and Instagram would never get back to me on a solution. So I had to oh, add man. the, so it's T H E the school zone <laughs> at, um, on Instagram. But uh, I have um, a subreddit, uh, which is also school zone, but you can get to all those links from the header. 
Uh, and then of course I have the website, uh, schooledzone.com. So they just go to the YouTube channel and up in the header, all those uh, links or little icons in the top uh, right corner. And you also have a build contest going for this October. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. The deadline might be over by the time this podcast is posted, but yeah, I, I try to do a building contest about once a year and I do offer actual real prizes. It's, it's really fun. And the audience loves seeing the rest of the community flex their muscles a little bit. You know, it's something, something fun to just uh, bring the community together. Well, Paul, I really appreciate your time and you coming on and just sharing your insight, your expertise, breaking it down for us. This has been a really good interview. Thanks. I appreciate the opportunity. If you would like to follow Paul and The Schooled Zone, I left links to his social media below, and I also left links to his YouTube and Patreon if you are interested in checking out The School Council. This has been a blast, and I look forward to inviting Paul on again down the road to see just how much he has grown and how things have changed and to get his input on even more than we were able to cover today. If you have a nerdy business or industry that you would like to hear from, give me a shout. I love getting recommendations. One listener suggested that I have someone on who knows NFTs. So that's going to be what I'm working on for the next few weeks. We'll see who I can meet. Maybe I can get someone to come on and educate us a little more on that. In the meantime, I look forward to sharing next week's episode with you guys. It's going to be a good one. But until then, I hope you enjoy.